0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. I'm Pastor Tim here and I'm so excited to uh, bring you the word this morning. But before we do that, every beginning of the month we want to bring you guys a little bit of information about the missions that we support. And uh, I wanted to just give you an update on Dr. Sam Richardson. Dr. Sam, we prayed him off a few weeks ago. He is in... Tuba Para, Brazil, and uh, he is having a great time down there. He's partnered with um, YWAM, and uh, he's doing medical missions down there in Brazil. They're going into the, um, the Amazon. They're taking, you know, one- to two-day trips into the Amazon and doing medical clinics. He's partnered up with various different Brazilian doctors and such. He, he is having a great time. He's excited. He's still learning uh, to speak Portuguese and all of that, so you can pray for him. He asked for prayer regarding that. And uh, he is having a, a, a wonderful time, though. He, he wanted to make sure you saw this, uh, this engine here in the uh, boat because the, the container on top of it is the actual gasoline tank. And he, he's like, whoa, there's no floor in that thing. It's super not safe, but he's having a blast. So, you know, um, they're doing all kinds of stuff there. But his main objective currently is he's getting, um, he's getting equipment and supplies, medical supplies and such Uh, to to take into the the bush when they go in there. And and he said the supply chain is secure, so praise God for that. Um, Keep Dr. Sam in prayer. He'll be there for approximately about three months. So uh, just keep him in prayer and we'll keep you updated on what he's doing. Of course, also we have Marty Vierhoff who is uh, uh, in Awasi, Kenya, in Africa. Um, We were a little bit nervous. We thought he had... Malaria, but he doesn't he's good he's good to go but he's really focused right now on um, fish pond uh, fish fish farming so you can pray for that that God would give us wisdom and direction relating to how we get involved in that and 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 whatnot that he directs him in the right place. The point over there in Owasi is that we're trying to build sustainability within the country. so we're trying to find uh, you know find micro businesses that can be brought up and then support, you know, local uh, orphanages, uh, widows and orphans. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful ministry that's going on over there. And we're so grateful for Marty to be there. Keep his family in prayer. Glad you guys are healthy. So glad you're back in church this week. And uh, before we get going in our study, I'm going to have invite Pastor Brian up, wherever he is, and he's going to give us an update. They went up to Waverly, Tennessee this weekend, so. All
1: right, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so Larry, come on up here, uh, Larry came up here, so we posted on Facebook earlier this past week, we were going to take all the supplies that we had, and man, I can't tell you enough, guys, thank you for all, all you, those that have donated already, and put stuff in the coffee shop over here, let me tell you, continue to do that, I mean, going out there, and just seeing, seeing the destruction firsthand of what happened over in Waverly, so, so those that you don't know, that area uh, had 17 inches of rain in less than 24 hours, And kind of what happened is uh, CSX rail runs right up through there and uh, there's culverts that run under the rail system, not very large ones. But what happened is those culverts basically through debris and stuff just got backed up. So behind the rail, behind the raised rail, it formed a massive lake. And then what happened is the, the structure under the rail gave way. And so, I mean like 20 yard sections just gave way And that water just washed instantly into and through the town of Waverly. Um, Several people from my work have uh, been impacted directly by that. You guys have seen some of my posts on that. Um, One of my rack pickers uh, works at uh, our warehouse. His uh, son woke him up that morning, said, hey, dad, there's something wrong. You know, I think the hot water heater broke, whatever. Stood up with two inches of water in his house. He's like, all right, something's wrong. Looked outside, their house is surrounded by water. By the time they got to their vehicles, their their vehicles were already teetering and floating, so they couldn't drive out, they had to walk out. By the time they got to high ground, the water was at the windows of their house. So that's how fast this water came into the area and came into that town. So just multiple stories like that. So uh, we went out there um, Saturday morning, loaded up all the supplies we went out there, and uh, I'd been on the phone with the folks at uh, First Baptist Church in Waverly, which is right downtown Waverly, just a little bit on high ground. It didn't look like the church sustained any damage, but, I mean, literally a street over, you could see mud lines on the houses. I mean, so they said in total uh, 270 homes destroyed in the community. I think the community is like 4,000 people at most, something like that. So, the need is, is great. And uh, so we took all the supplies up there and met with the folks at First Baptist. We started unloading stuff, and they just put us to work. You know? We just started working in the supply room. And let me tell you, I don't, and I'll let Larry share a little bit too if he wants, but when, when God's word says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, man, we saw that come. I have never seen so much toothpaste in my life. There is no toilet paper shortage in Waverly right now entire rooms, okay, rooms the size of our coffee shop, filled with supplies, and they're just giving it away free, so this is their food pantry, and this is all they're doing, so the the people there are just volunteering, we saw uh, buses from churches in Kentucky, churches in Alabama, people just driving up with trail loads of stuff, just donating from, from wherever, and so the lady just says, here, you guys just start sorting stuff, so all we did was sort stuff for a couple hours, and other people would come in and drop stuff off and say, yeah, these guys are in charge of sorting, and we're like, (laughs) 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 praise God, all right, yeah, (laughs) so, I mean, it's, the need is so great, I can, I mean, if you guys have never been involved with any kind of aftermath or destruction like that, just to see it, I mean, you're driving down through there, and we got lost a couple places, because some of the roads were already closed, we, we kept going through all these things, kept saying road closed to through traffic, I'm like, well, that's not us, we're going around that, you know, and we kept going, and you know, fifty, hundred yard sections of road missing. Like, I guess we better turn around now. <laughs> we backtracked and went some other ways and just you could see debris in the tree line above us. You could see where it was at. Forty yard shipping containers folded around trees. I mean it's just the amount of destruction. If you guys have never seen that, it was very it was heartbreaking. It really was. It was hard to see. And just hard to imagine what these people are going through. So they're still pulling debris out of their houses. I mean, just basically all the houses in the town just had trash heaps in front of them where they're gutting them and just trying to uh, salvage whatever they can. So um, I don't very to share anything else there. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
2: <coughs> hey, folks. Okay. Um, I just want to share with you uh, some of my own takeaways from uh, going out to Waverly, and a lot of it is actually personal and I hope you guys would think about it as it applies to your own life especially as a believer. Uh, The first takeaway that I got from it was the fact that the God that we serve for those of us that have been born again he is love that is who he embodies that is his personality that is his character of faith hope and love the greatest of all those is love and one of the best ways that you and I, as believers, we can go out and visit with these people is to spend time with them. You know, love, it's not just a word. It is also an action. And what the church does well, more so than government uh, at the state level or at the federal level, even though th- those folks are there, is that you and I, we go out there and we, re- we represent who Christ is here on this earth. So, I invite you all, you know, in the privacy of your own heart and of your own time, to uh, take a look at your heart and see what you guys can do. Um, I would reason to say that many of the supplies they have, a lot of supplies over there. And obviously, that's, you know, you see that and it's a result of people giving. And so, the second takeaway that I got from it was that. You know, our God, he loves a cheerful giver, right? And so when we give, it is not just through our tithes, but, is, but it is also through our offerings. And those offerings can manifest themselves through time. Uh, um, I guess time is the big thing. So, and it's not just our finances, but time and spending time quality time with people so uh, I just wanted to share that with you and I hope you guys would be encouraged somehow that you know we have a good God our God he is a great provider and imagine you know uh, something like that happened to your own neighborhood to where you're at you know Um, I think that's it But either way, it was such a blessing to go out there with Brother Brian. And uh, many of you all live in Tennessee. I think most of you guys do. Um, I live in Alabama country. And so it was just an awesome time to go out there and uh, just to serve, you know. So be encouraged, folks.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Larry. Yeah, so also, uh, just so you guys know, we'll uh, continue to bring supplies, continue to put them over here in the coffee shop, put them underneath the uh, screen in the coffee shop up on the stage, and then uh, we'll plan another trip out there in a few weeks, maybe a couple weeks into October, we'll plan another trip out there. Also be praying for uh, Kurt with uh, Calvary Relief. So. Kurt with Calvary Relief, he goes into areas of destruction, and we were—I was in talking with him. And he was going to come up to the Waverly area, but he actually has uh, decided through the Lord leading. He's actually down in Louisiana right now. So you guys have due to due to all the destruction from Ida. So be praying for Kurt and his family. They're they're actually down in uh, Louisiana right now and helping some families down there uh, to recover as well. So there's man I'm, like uh, Larry. Larry kind of alluded to. I mean there is there's no shortage of a need and there's definitely a shortage of workers so if you uh, ever feel led to do that you know just let me know we'll uh, we'll arrange some trips and we'll we'll go and serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus All right. thanks
0: yeah so that's such a practical way to to uh, you know live out your faith right is to help people in need and there's so much going on in our world today why don't we pray real quick for just our missionaries for those in Waverly, also those in Afghanistan this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are. You're a good dad. And uh, you provide the things that we need. You allow us to go through the things that we need to go through that you can uh, reveal yourself to us. The enemy might mean things for evil for us, God, but you use everything for our good. And so we... Don't want you to take us out of the trial, but just sustain us through the trial. Give us strength, Lord. And uh, we want to lift up our missionary brothers in Brazil and Kenya, Lord. We lift them to you. We pray that you shine through them, Lord. That those that they come encounter with would see their good works and glorify their Father in heaven. God, that you would provide whatever is needed for their, their missions, Lord. That you would protect them from sickness, God, that you would um, just use them mightily for your name. We, th- we want to also pray for Marty's family, Lord, that uh, we just lift them to you as well as they're here, that you continue to watch over them and just continue to strengthen them. Thank you for the healing that they receive from you, Lord. We ask you to just continue to guide and keep them. Father, we lift all those up in Waverly that are in need. We thank you for the believers that are coming from all around, surrounding areas, Lord, to minister. Thank you for this body that's provided uh, various different things to take there, Lord. We ask you to just, um, that people would hear the most important thing as these Christians go out and they do the work of ministry, Lord, that we don't forget what it's all about, opportunity to share the gospel, opportunity to share the hope that is beyond this world, that uh, there'll be continual devastation in this world, but we're not living for this world, Lord. We're living for eternity. And you use these devastations to draw us to yourself. So help us not to forget as we're serving and ministering to those around us, God, that, uh, that, that, that it's about the gospel. We lift the churches there that are ministering to those um, people that are, you know, dealing with all the loss. And we ask you to just give them words of wisdom. Give them the... Just words of hope to share. And may you continue to put it on the hearts of all the believers in this area, Lord, to serve those in need here at Waverly. We also want to lift up those who are being persecuted, Lord, in Afghanistan and and just the things going on in our world today. You know, we sang a song earlier about how great you are. That there's not a disease that can hide from you. There's not an ailment, not a sickness. There's not anything that you don't have power over. And we want to pray for your power to be on display through the believers' lives there in Afghanistan, Lord. That you would show your mercy and your grace, Lord, through them. And that you would sustain their lives. That even the the greatest testimony, as we've seen throughout the ages, is a willingness to die for you. Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters there. We pray for boldness and strength. We ask you for safety and comfort, Lord. We pray that you would just use them mightily. We pray over our country and our leadership, Lord, that the decisions that are being made would be uh, guided by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would bring salvation to the White House, Lord, that you would cause those who are standing against you, Lord, to come on your team. And so we just lift all these things to you, Father. We thank you for who you are. We ask you to continue to guide and keep us, Father, and prepare our hearts as we will celebrate communion here in just a little bit. We thank you, Lord, and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, Titus chapter, or not Titus, we're in Philemon. There is no chapter. Philemon, the the letter to Philemon. Uh, We will be wrapping this up next week. So... If you haven't signed up for Share Sunday, which I don't think anybody has, you should sign up today out on the Welcome Center and uh, let us know if you want to share something that you learned through the book of Titus or through the book of Philemon. Uh, stand with me and we're going to read our text this morning. We're looking at Philemon verses 8 through 18. Paul speaking to Philemon who is the slave owner of a man named Onesimus. And Paul is pleading with Philemon on Onesimus' behalf to forgive him and reconcile with him for the love's sake. Paul says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord for this per, uh, perhaps is why he was parted from you in a while for a while that you might have him back forever no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the lord so if you consider me your partner receive him as you would receive me if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to speak into our lives this morning, Lord. Will you just uh, do the work that's necessary, Father. We want to become more like Jesus. So come by your spirit and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So last week in the introduction of this letter, written by Paul to Philemon, we recalled the premise of the letter. And I talked about... This letter is all about reconciliation. But with, with, you also have to understand that he's talking about forgiveness. You can't have one without the other. You cannot be reconciled if you're not forgiving. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two Ps in a positive word. Both are required in order to, to become into right relationship with one another. Forgiveness is an act... By which we decide not to allow an offense to plague our hearts and control our thoughts and emotions. So it's a decision we make regardless of what the other person is doing. Forgiveness actually can happen just with one party. It does not require two parties. We can forgive somebody even if they're not sorry. And we should because guess what? If we don't, it will control you. We don't want to be under any other control other than the Holy Spirit. So we want to, you know, actively forgive people when we're we're offended by what they do, when we're sinned against. Reconciliation, on the other hand, requires two parties. It requires both parties, the offender and the offended. You cannot be reconciled with somebody if both parties aren't at the table. I talked to you last week about the definition of reconciliation. It means to reestablish proper, friendly, interpersonal relations after these have been disrupted or broken by sin. This requires a willingness on both parties to bury the hatchet, as we talked about last week. You can't have right relationship with somebody that you've wronged if you don't come to the table and confess what you've done, repent, and then, you know, reconcile with one another, those are the requirements. God has stepped into your world, chosen to forgive you, and wants to reconcile with you. He's done that for you. He, he was the offended, and he's done that for you. Here's what's required of us. Confession. Repentance and to come to the table and say, I want to be reconciled with you, God. That's how we come to salvation. God has told us, I love you. I want to be in relationship with you. So I've taken the first step towards you. And here's the reality this is what He requires of us. We say, Oh Lord, make me more like Jesus. Do you know what you're praying? You really know what you're praying, right? You're saying, Lord, help me to forgive even if that person's not sorry. Lord, help me to love that person even when I'm not loved back. Lord, help me to become more like Jesus. Boy, it's a big prayer. It's not something that we should take lightly because guess what? God will test you on your prayer. God will put people in your life to say, how much more like Jesus do you want to be? Let's see. Are you willing to be crucified? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to love even when you're not loved back? That's deep. That's the requirement. He's calling us to to be these kind of people and thus it's impossible for us to do it in the flesh. Totally impossible. If you're trying to live the Christian life um, in the flesh, prepare to fail. You cannot do it. We need to be on a daily basis, in the morning, on our knees, fill me with your spirit, God. I need to walk in the spirit today, Lord. I need your power, God, in order to represent you well in this world. And guess what? If you want to forgive like Jesus, if you want to reconcile like Jesus, you better be filled with the love of Jesus. So you ask the Lord, give me your heart, Lord. Give me your eyes. Help me to see what you see, to hear what you hear. Help me, Lord, to be like you. It's a big prayer. But that is what he wants of us. God stepped to the table. He's at the table this morning. He says, I want to be reconciled to you. Will you do your part? He will not do your part for you. And that goes with any relationship. We, as ambassadors of Christ, who have been reconciled to God are called to go into the world and demonstrate reconciliation. We're to do that. That, that. that means that we have to be forgiving people, and we have to be willing to take a step forward, take a step to the table, even if the other person hasn't come yet. And we are the ones that take the step. We reach out to that person. We ask them, hey, will you forgive me? I'm sorry for what, 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 what's gone on here, but, you know, here's the deal. Are you willing to risk Your feelings and everything else to become more like Jesus. Uh, God has reconciled with us. But here's the thing. It's always on his terms. It's not on our terms. It's on his terms. And his terms were that we believe and receive Jesus Christ as his son. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. But there's also restitution that's necessary in this reconciliation process. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, we talked about this last week. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Did you catch what he said there? Not counting their trespasses against them. You know what a trespass is? It's a willful sin. It's not iniquity. Iniquity is just sin that we don't we're not even conscious of, which many of us are iniquinators or however you say that, but transgression. Transgression is willful. It means I'm taking a step to willfully go against the grain. Go against what God says. That's a transgression. And he says, He didn't account that against us. Our trespasses, our sins. Man, that is incredible. He wants to reconcile with you. And if you're reconciled to God, what you need to understand this morning is you are to go and reconcile with others. You're to demonstrate what God has done in your life to those who you are estranged with. Now, I have to venture to say that everybody in this room today has somebody in their life that they have a broken relationship with somebody. There's some forgiveness that needs to be, uh, you know had and there's some reconciliation that needs to be had and and here's what I'm saying to you is today is the day. Today is the day. Do not let today go by without reconciling these people. You are an ambassador of Christ. Take that seriously, especially in this day and age, folks. We do not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow, and we want to be representatives in these last moments of these last days. The book of Philemon is not just about forgiveness, but more so about reconciliation. The apostle Paul is not just asking Philemon to to forgive Onesimus. He's asking Philemon to go beyond forgiveness and reconcile, that their relationship would be made whole, that as he says in the letter, that he would receive him as a brother You can't receive somebody as a brother if you have a broken relationship, folks. You have to be reconciled. And that's what Paul is saying. He's asking him to reestablish a good godly relationship for love's sake. That love would be on demonstration before the world and before all believers. We need these living examples, these biblical living examples of what love looks like. We just talked about these guys going up to Waverly. That's what love looks like. Love looks like that. It's an action, you know. And love is best demonstrated when you are wronged and you still take a step towards that person and say, hey, let's reconcile. Let's talk about this. Now, you can't reconcile with somebody that doesn't want to reconcile with you, period. But you can ask them, can't you? Oh, yeah, that's our responsibility. But we cannot reconcile with people who are unwilling to reconcile with us. That's not on us. The Bible says do all that you can do to live at peace with all men. Our responsibility is to take the first step just like God did towards us. Paul is pleading with uh, Philemon that he will take this step towards Onesimus as he's being sent back. And that he will reconcile with this, this one that has transgressed against him. Paul, you know, starts to remind Philemon of his character in verses 1 through 7. And he, and he tells him, Hey, hey, Philemon, I heard of your love in verse 5 and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. Paul's reminding Philemon of his character here. He's saying, don't blow it in this moment. Let me remind you first about who you are. This is who you are. You love the Lord and you love his people. So you need to reconcile. Don't blow it in this moment. So he's telling him this. Then he, he goes on here and he, he tells him that this is perhaps maybe the greatest moment in Philemon's life. This will be the loudest testimony that Philemon can bring in the church that he hosts in his home about how he's going to deal with this situation. And I promise you there are people around you watching that family member that you're unwilling to reconcile with or, you know, or maybe it's a friend and there's other friends watching. People are watching you in these situations. How will you respond? Paul is reminding Philemon not to forget who he is in the moment. And he tells him here, he wants, he says, he tells Philemon, his prayer for him is that the sharing of his faith may become effective For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for Christ's sake. For the sake of Christ. We talked about this last week. But the Greek word being used for share. He's not talking about evangelism. He's talking about koinonia. He's talking about deep intimate relationship. It, you know, in their culture, that would mean sharing a meal together and those kinds of things. In our culture, not so much. That's not really what it means. We go out to people, we go out to lunch with people we don't even like. If they're paying, I mean, we don't care. We'll just do that. Hey, are you paying? Hey, I'll go with you. So, you know, but but in this culture, to eat with somebody was very intimate. Very intimate. We're supposed to be in, in intimate relationship with one another we're supposed to do life together not just say that but actually do it that means when things are going on in your life and and you're facing difficulties and all these sorts of things you know you're going through hardships and and whatnot that you have a a group of people that you can rely on that you can count on that are in your corner that are going to do life with you are going to walk through whatever it is that you're going through that's what we're called to Paul is reminding him, man, I, I'm, I'm praying that your fellowship, your intimate, deep relationships within that body in Colossae is going to be demonstrated in this moment. Your deep, intimate fellowship with your slave who is now a brother named Onesimus. That as you forgive him and, and you demonstrate that sacrificial love uh, for him, that your testimony becomes effective to everybody else. That they see it and they go, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's how I'm supposed to love these people. That's how I'm supposed to live. Just like that. Paul is calling him to a higher call. And God is calling you to a higher call this morning. He wants us to, he doesn't want us to just read theology in a book, folks. He wants us to to practically apply what what we're learning so that we can show the world that Jesus is real that his love is real, that he can change and transform anybody. If he can do it to you, he can do it in anybody's life. We need to demonstrate that to the world, you know. Uh, The signs and wonders that the world needs is not God to open up the skies and say, hey guys, I'm here. He needs the church to act like his body in the world and demonstrate his love. That's what he needs. Those are the signs and wonders the world needs. True Christian love. True love, the love of Christ, the sacrificial love of Christ. Paul goes on here to, as we're going to get into the sermon today and talking about um, the requirements for reconciliation. There's four things that he mentions in our text. Uh, we find here in verses 8 through 10 that reconciliation requires willful obedience. Not just obedience, but willful obedience. Verse 11 declares reconciliation requires true transformation. Verses 12-17, through reconciliation requires real humility. And finally, verse 18, reconciliation requires paid restitution. First, we're going to look at reconciliation requires willful obedience. Look with verse 8 with me. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. The attitude in which Paul is writing here is the attitude of love. He's writing in the attitude of love. He is demonstrating the kind of love that everybody is supposed to have here in this moment. He's not commanding Philemon to do what is right in this moment to obey, but he's pleading with him that he will willfully... Act in this moment and be obedient to the call that Christ put on all of our lives that we would love one another as he has loved us. He's pleading with him. He's asking him to do this for love's sake. He could command him, folks. But last time I checked, commanding somebody to, uh, you know, obey a, a, a scripture usually doesn't work well. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one in the room. When somebody tells me what to do, immediately pride comes in my heart. I'm like, oh, really? Huh, no. Is that not true? Do we not, we hate rules, don't we? And when rules come up, guess what? We want to rebel. That's the flesh. In the spirit, the spirit of God will cause us to willfully want to do these things. Why? Because we're operating in love. We're operating, we want, we want the love of Christ to shine through us. We want to love other people the way that he loves. And so we willfully do these things, not because we're commanded, not because we have to, because we get to, right? There's a difference. And that's really what Paul is saying. When he says, I appeal to you, that word means he's asking for something earnestly and with propriety, he's pleading with him. He is literally interceding on the behalf of Onesimus and pleading with Philemon to forgive him because he knows what's at stake here. His life is in the balance, folks. Uh, Onesimus' life is in the balance. He could be put to death for what he's done to Philemon, and that would be totally within the laws of the land. But Paul says, listen, don't forget about Jesus. Remember what Jesus has done for you. What is Jesus? Done for us. Paul is acting like a type of Christ here when he's going on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon and and speaking to him about this. Romans chapter 3, verse uh, 8, verse 34 tells us about the things that Jesus is doing in our life. He's interceding on our behalf. Who uh, Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who was at the right hand of God? who indeed is interceding for us. Paul acting like Christ in this moment, interceding for Onesimus, just as Jesus is pleading with the Father on our behalf, reminding him that he's paid the price for our sins. He paid the price for us. Paul is doing the same here. Notice it says that as Paul is writing this letter, that he's an old man. He's about 60 years old. Um, it, ar- around that, this time when he's writing this letter. And t- to us, that's not incredibly old. But in this culture, it is pretty old. He's a pretty old dude. He's, you know, he might not last much longer. And of course, he doesn't last much longer. We know that. He's, he ends up giving his life for the gospel. You know, what I found in talking to older people in my life is that they're so filled with life lessons experiences that have gone wrong in their life that they want to make sure you hear of so it do, you don't make the same mistakes. I appreciate that. I'd much rather learn from somebody else's experience than me myself go through those things, yeah? I would much rather do that. And I appreciate talking to uh, people who who have gone through life, who have maybe on the backside of life in there like myself, uh, and who have gone through some things, you know, who can explain to me like, hey, man, just... Keep this in the focus. I was talking to Jeff this morning. You're not old, but hey, I mean, I'm going to use your example this morning. He, he told me this morning, you know what he said? As I get older, it's the little things that matter the most. As I get older, it's the little things that matter the most. And that is so true. When my dad, uh, I remember r- right before he died, I had an opportunity to um, sit down and I, f- I captured his life on video. I want to hear his life story. I want to hear everything from the from the start uh, to the end. I want to hear kind of everything that he's gone through in life. And as I listened to what he said, there was sort of one theme that was running through uh, the, the story that he was talking about. And it was about people. It was about people. My dad told me, he said, all you have in this life is your family, Timmy. That's what he called me. Don't let anything come in between your relationship because in the end it will it will all be it will be all you have left that's what he told me is that good wisdom i think that is good wisdom it's about relationship it's about you know getting beyond maybe wrongs that have done to you and reconciling with one another because relationships are super important and that's exactly what paul is saying here he's saying relationships are valuable he's an old man he's learned some things we should listen to what he has to say. Philemon, listen up. I've learned some things. I have plenty. Of, he, I'm sure he has plenty of broken relationships. And I'm sure he understands the hurt in that. And God being a relational God wants us to be reconciled. So no doubt he's, he's saying the same thing here. Value your relationships. So much so that you're willingly obedient to reconcile with one another. Paul goes on here and he mentions his imprisonment to Philemon. Again, he already said he was in prison. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus in the very opening part of the letter. He reminds him again here, oh, hey, by the way, I'm in prison. Does he think he knows this? He knows this. Why is he saying it? I believe that what Paul is saying here in this moment is he's telling, he's reminding Philemon, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know if you'll have the freedom that you have today. You don't know if that person you're supposed to reconcile with will be around tomorrow. Do not wait. You don't know what circumstances are coming. So make sure you're willfully obedient now. Do not wait. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Not tomorrow, today, right now. If you're not saved, you need to get saved now because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You know, as I was going through this, um, I, I, I remembered... Well, I told you a story last week about a girlfriend of mine that I, I the Lord had put on my heart to go talk to her. And then she ended up dying like five years later of cancer. Could you imagine the burden I would have of not doing what the Lord told me to do? Not going and talking to her about those things. She died. I would have had no opportunity. But I was obedient to the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. Because I don't hold any guilt in my heart over anything that I did what he told me to do. You know? Um, I had a, a, but but here's the deal. I just learned uh, a couple days ago that my first mentor, he just passed away like two weeks ago. I didn't even know. I didn't know that he he had gone to be home with the Lord. He was 54 years old and he died of COVID. And he was a healthy guy. You know, and, and his wife said, sent me a text. She goes, Tim, I'm so sorry. I didn't even think about, you know, I was going through so much and and, you know. I, I didn't even think about um contacting you, I just had talked to him you know we we didn't stay in super close contact, but we did uh stay in contact you know if if it hadn't been for will you throw his picture up here, Brian Nix, if it hadn't been for Brian Nix, I would not be here today. This guy changed my life this guy. Took me in as a baby, infant Christian, and he taught me how to be a Christian. He taught me how to study the Word of God. He taught me all about the Lord. And guess what? He's in heaven now. I would be so distraught if I had didn't have the opportunity. If I was as strange to him in some way, that I would not have the opportunity to make that right with him. Listen, life is not a game. It's so short. It can be gone in an instant. Do not take life for granted. Do not take relationships for granted. If there's somebody you need to get right with, you need to do it. Paul is saying, I'm in prison. And who knows what what tomorrow will bring for me. Don't wait, Philemon. Don't hold on. Willfully act. Do it for love's sake. Reconcile with your brother. Not only does reconciliation require willful obedience, but it also requires true transformation. Look at verse 11 here. It says, Paul goes on and he says, formerly he was useless, speaking of Onesimus, to you, but now he is indeed useful to me, or to you and to me. So as I stated last week, the name Onesimus means useful. But there was a point in Onesimus' life that he did not live up to his name. There's a point in time when he was useless, yet you say his name, oh, hey, Onesimus, oh, that means useful, but he's not. He's not living up to his name. And, you know, we as God's creation, before we're saved, we are, he, he intended for us to be useful in the world. We are useless until we come to Christ. That might shock some people that, whoa, hold on a second, useless, yeah, useless. Because this life is temporary. This life is so temporary. Eternity is what we're to be living for. Like you're living your life right now for one purpose, eternity. You will die one day. Ten out of ten people die. You will not sustain death. You will die one day. And if you don't have Christ, your life will be a waste. Your life will be a total waste if you're not living for Christ. If, you're not, if you haven't come to Christ, Christ is what makes our life valuable. Christ is what makes us useful. So we come to Christ, now we become useful. What did Paul say? Onesimus, pre-Christ, useless. Post-Christ, useful. That is the state of every person in the world, folks. Coming to Christ is what makes us useful in this world. Onesimus had done a 180-degree turn. That's what repentance means. It means to turn around and go the opposite way. This is what's happened in Onesimus' life. He has turned around, gone the opposite way. He is truly transformed. He went from being useless to useful. This demonstrates salvation in his life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You can't be a Christian without true transformation, without life change. Now, some people have grown up in the church and their life change is subtle. There's still a life change. There has to be a life change. There has to be transformation. Because we're all stuck in one, one category, useless. We have to be... Transferred over by the blood of Christ, by the power of the gospel into that category of useful. There, there has to be a transformation that takes place. And, and, and that's when we can begin to truly reconcile with people. When, when there has been a transformation that's taken place. I, I said this earlier, you can't do this in the flesh. You can't do it. You can try as hard as you want to to be forgiving, but you are not forgiving. You're not. It's not true biblical forgiveness. You're holding on, and when when they when they wrong you again, guess what's going to come up? This flood of mistakes that they that you know your spouse or whoever it is in your life. Oh, well, you did this, 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 and this. That's not biblical forgiveness. That's not really forgiveness at all, is it? It's actually just brushing stuff under the carpet and acting like, oh, okay. Well, we'll just leave that there for later. That's not forgiveness. That's not biblical forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness is, as I said last week, God casting our sin as far as the east from the west. He remembers it no more. You go to the Lord, and you know how you're guilty after a couple days and you're still thinking about what you did? And you've already repented, but you're still kind of going through that process. I know I'm the only one that does that. But you know, and then and then you're like, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. And he's like, What are you talking about? What do you mean? Am I missing something here? You already repented of that. I remember your sin no more. What are you talking about? That sin is gone. I don't remember that sin. What happened? What are you, what are you doing? He's forgiven us. That's his forgiveness. That's the kind of forgiveness we're going to, we can't do that unless there's true transformation that's taking place. The old man harbors um, bitterness towards people. The spirit man, oh man, the spirit man loves people. The spirit man forgives people. The spirit man is the, The one that takes the first step towards people, it's the spirit of God. We need to walk in the spirit if we are going to be the people that God is calling us to be. He wants us to forgive and reconcile but we can't do that unless we've had a true transformation in our lives. Onesimus has been truly transformed and Paul is demonstrating that here and guess what, when Philemon sees him, he'll see it he'll see the transformation that's taking place, you know, and and you got to wonder, what was that encounter like, what was it like, you know, when we get to heaven, and you know, we're sitting in our whatever mansions, watching our our DVRs of the the history of the world, and you're rewinding it back to this point where Onesimus comes to Philemon, and and he's like, you know, how does he come, does he come on his face, does he he hand him this letter and he falls on the ground and says, will you forgive me holding his legs? What does he do? I promise you that uh, because of his transformation, he's not, he's not going to come standing. He's going to come in true humility. And that's what happens. That's the third thing that Paul mentions here is that when we are transformed and changed, that's when our prideful heart becomes humble. Where we receive that, where God says, I'll take the that hard heart of yours, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll make you humble. I'll, and and in order to be reconciled, you have to have humility. Paul in verse 12 says, I'm sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he parted from you for a while. That he might have, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. One of the most difficult things Christi- uh, things a Christian can do after being transformed by the gospel is to go back and revisit wrongs that have happened in their life. And it doesn't mean that you're supposed to do all of that, like I said last week. But there are some things that you do need to go do. And the Lord will bring them to mind. And then you, you know, it, it takes gospel transformation for a person to do that. To go back and say, oh, man, will you forgive me for what I've done? It takes real Humility, not fake humility. Fake humility won't get you out the door. Real humility will get you before the person you're supposed to be with. It was Rick Warren who took C.S. Lewis's words and kind of framed this uh, this this saying about humility, this definition. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's humility. It's not thinking less of yourself like I'm worthless. No, it's not thinking of yourself at all. It's thinking about other people. That's what humility is. The humility of Christ. The humility of Christ is him not thinking of himself but him thinking of you and I. And in fact, it says it was for the joy that was set before him. Christ was thinking about you and I and everyone else in the world when he was hanging on the cross. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. He despite the same. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. It was the joy. You're the joy. He did it for you. He became humble for your sake because he loves you. What an amazing thing the Lord has done. That's real Humility. And Paul is is asking all parties in this situation to demonstrate real humility. Paul himself being humble in this moment. He's not commanding uh, Philemon. He could. He's an apostle. He he could say, listen. And there would be nothing wrong with him saying, in my apostolic authority, I command you to do this. There would be nothing wrong with that. Because it's biblical. But in humility... Knowing probably, you know, uh, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit when he's writing this. But, you know, knowing how man responds to these kinds of things. He's appealing to him. And he's being humble in this moment so that pride doesn't well up. So that pride doesn't well up. The one thing that will stop you from being reconciled to another person is pride. Well, you don't know what they've done to me. It does not matter what they've done. I promise you what they've done is nothing in comparison to what you've done to God. And he forgave you. And we will continue to forgive you. But here's the reality. Will we, will we be that ruthless servant that Jesus spoke about in that parable where we will be forgiven so much by everything that we've done, but we will, we will want that other person to pay every single ounce of, of misery in their life because of what they've done to us. What is that? That's pride. That's pride. Paul is telling Philemon uh, in a humble way um, that just reminding him of the things that he already knows. He already knows these things. He's already doing these things. He's just simply reminding him to come in that way, to come in humility towards Onesimus. And Paul demonstrating that for him. Paul reminds Philemon once again that although Onesimus left in a rebellious and prideful way that he is returning a humble, beloved brother in the Lord. Onesimus is dear to Paul, he says here. He's sending his own heart back to, to Philemon. That's how much he loves this man and how much he's seen the Lord do a work in his life. He's a brother in the Lord. He's no longer a slave, but he's a freed man in Christ. And Paul goes on and says, maybe that's why all this happened. Is it worth the the infraction on your side for this man to go to Rome, to get saved, and then to come back towards you? Is it worth it all? It's worth it because his life was changed. Paul says, listen, if you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. And he's saying, you know, if I if I showed up at your door, you would be so humble towards me. You'd be like, oh, Paul, why are you here? You know, you would be so humble towards me if I came, and I'm asking you to receive him like you would receive me. And he's he's asking him to get beyond himself and to be humble in this moment. This is the requirement of God. God requires this of us. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. He requires us to walk in humility. Not thinking about ourselves, not thinking less of ourselves, but not thinking of ourselves at all, but thinking about other people. This brings us to our final point. Reconciliation requires paid restitution. Paul says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul not only asked Philemon to receive Onesimus as he would himself but then he goes on to say I'll pay whatever he owes. Onesimus must have stolen something from him, somehow it's cost him money. Even as a slave running away, there were costs involved in that. Somebody are they going to somebody's going to have to pay for, you know, does Philemon send out a search party to find him, that costs money. Is he replace him as a slave because, you know, he he needs him to take care of certain things, so That costs money, about 500 denarii to buy a slave back in this day, which is about an entire year's wages that he's out because this guy decides he wants to rebel and take off. But what does Paul say? Paul says this, I don't care what he owes you. Paul doesn't even know what he owes him. But he said, I'll pay it. Just put it on my account. What is he saying? I'm good for it. I'm good for it, Philemon. You know me, put it on my account. This is biblical. Paid restitution. The Lord commanded the children of Israel uh, to pay restitution in Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin. That he is committed and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. So not only are you to pay what you owe, but then beyond that, you're supposed to add to it even. And, and Paul says, I'm willing to do that because that's biblical. I will pay what I owe you. Whatever Whatever Onesimus owes you, I will pay for it. Again, this is Paul acting as a type of Christ in this moment. Jesus Christ paid the price for you. There was a restitution that needed to be paid, and it was paid in his blood. He paid for you. He's he's paid the price. All you have to do is step to the table. But the price has already been paid. He's already he prepared reconciliation for you. All you have to do is respond to the gospel. And Paul is saying the same thing Jesus said. Remember what? Remember Jesus's words on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How he's saying this because he's paying the price. He's saying this because he can offer forgiveness to people through his crucifixion. He's the only one that can do that. And so he says, Father, forgive them. I'll pay the price. Here's the restitution for their sin. My life. It's like he's saying, put it on my tab, Pops. I'll pay for it. It's done. It's finished. You and I were bought with a price. The restitution has been paid on your behalf. The Father can freely reconcile with you and I because of the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Here we're going to celebrate communion in just a few moments. And we're reminded of the price that was paid for us. Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified for you and I, bloodshed. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There has to be a restitution paid for your sin. And that restitution was paid by Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I'll stand in the gap for you, Onesimus. And Jesus said, i stand in the gap for you. Anyone who, who will receive me, I will by no means cast out. We are to, to be a type of Christ in the world. To let people know the restitution has been paid. That we can reconcile with the Father. Not only can we, but we get to. He wants to. He loves us so much. So desiring for us. To be in right relationship with Him. All we have to do is accept the sacrificial love and receive His redemptive forgiveness and be reconciled to the Father through His Son. Again, it's on His terms. Not on your terms. You can't live a good person and think that's going to make it. It won't work. He said you can't. It's by the works of Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way. There is no other way. We come to be reconciled with the Father through the Son. And then we go into the world and we become reconcilers between man and God. Just like Jesus did. We've been given the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel, folks. Remember, as we celebrate this morning, communion, that the price was paid for you that there was a paid restitution for your sin and Jesus paid the price. God is serious about reconciliation. He's dead serious about it. So much so that he would send his own son to be crucified on a cross so that he could be reconciled with us. And you know what? He requires us to swallow our pride, sacrificing our feelings, and reconcile with one another. Listen, if there's somebody... In here in this room today, that you are not reconciled with, this is going to be totally uncomfortable. But here's what the Bible says Jesus, The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The Lord is dead serious about reconciliation. I'll be over here in case there's a line for me and wants to reconcile with me. But here's the reality, folks. He's serious about it. We don't have the right to hold back forgiveness from people. We don't have the right to be unwilling to take the first step towards whoever it is that we need to reconcile with. It does not matter what their response is. What matters to God is what you do. He's looking at you. He's talking to you right now. And he's saying, you know what? I took the first step towards you. Do not let this day pass without doing the same thing that he's done for you. The Lord tells us in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and whenever you stand and pray, forgive. And you will have, <clears throat> and if you have anything against anyone, so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. God says if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. Period. And we, we, we can talk about semantics of that. But it says what it says. It says what it says, folks. He's serious about reconciliation. And I, I believe that God uh, wants us as his church to show the world that this can be done in the spirit of God. So I want to encourage you this morning as we partake in communion just to remember what Christ has done for you. Worship team, will you come up? These elements are going to be passed out towards, to you if you will just hold them and we will partake of them together. Listen, if you're not a believer this morning, you come to Christ this morning right now in your seat. You do not want to take communion if you're not a believer because it's not for you. It's for Christians. And so if that's you this morning, you simply cry out to Christ. And you say, Lord, I know that my sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. I'm turning away from my life, repenting. I'm turning back to you now, right now, God. And I want to receive your forgiveness. And you pray to him and you say, I believe that Jesus was crucified for me, that he rose again from the dead for me so that I can be saved. That's what this represents, folks. The blood of Christ, the body slain for you, the blood shed for you. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask you as we move into communion now that you move in our hearts, Lord. That this this wouldn't just be an act, Lord, on the outside with no inward connection. But Father, may we be serious this morning in our hearts as we prepare to remember what Christ has done for us. He truly did give all that he had. So that we could be forgiven for our sins. Lord, will you move in our hearts to grant the same forgiveness towards those who have wronged us? Will you help us to reconcile with one another and demonstrate the love of Christ in this world, we pray, in Jesus' name? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.